Hello and welcome to the ASDN Church podcast. I'm James Nelson and I'm delighted to be joined by my friend and colleague, Mrs. Gillian Carlyle. Gillian, uh, great to get the chance to chat to you. Uh, do you want to say a little bit of introduction to the folk listening just about, well, about who you are? So my name is Gillian. I uh, was a teacher by trade up until about 10 years ago. Um, but I now I work full-time in Newton Breda Baptist Church where I'm a pastoral support worker. Um, I am married to Stephen, who's a primary school headmaster, and we have three children um, who are Josh, Zach and Eve, and uh, they're 21, 19 and 15 respectively. Thank you. And we're getting together today to talk over a dissertation you completed a little while ago, which I was fascinated by and I think our listeners will be fascinated by as well. And that was a dissertation on the spirituality of children on the autistic spectrum. Um, and I wonder, as by way of a start to that conversation, do you want to say a bit about what interested you to want to carry out what I think is such a fascinating dissertation? Where did it start? So it all began really with our son, Zach, who had a fairly early diagnosis of autism. And I suppose we we questioned early on in his days really about his capacity to think about God and speak about God and connect with him. But I think in particular there was a day when we took him to Buckfast Abbey and um, we'd had a long day out with the kids and those of you who are involved with, with children with ASD you know about overstimulation. We, we, I remember really vividly taking him into the chapel there and we knew he was overstimulated but the rest of us wanted to simply just to go on and investigate the church and if you've ever been in Buckfast Abbey at the far end there's this beautiful enclosed chapel which is is enclosed sort of floor to ceiling with plate glass it's it's to allow the monks um privacy and then beyond that um there's this beautiful stained glass window that also runs nearly floor to ceiling, and it's a, it's a picture of, of Christ with his hands outstretched. And we walked into the Abbey that day, and I will never forget taking Zach up to the plate glass wall, and he just started to cry, and he said, Mummy, this is a bad place, I, I need to get out. And we took him outside, and we basically were preparing to go home whenever Zach said to us, I have to show you, Mummy and Daddy, why that church is a bad place. And I remember vividly, he was scared even going back into the church and we couldn't work out what had gone wrong. And he took us back into the abbey and, and back to the far end of the chapel where the plate glass wall was. And when he saw the glass wall, he put his hand out and touched it and started to sob. And we couldn't work out why he was sobbing. And Stephen sort of said, Zach, don't cry. It's okay. You know, there's a wee sign about the photographs. Don't worry. You don't need to take a photograph today. And Zach just said, no, daddy, it's, it's the wall. It's the glass. And it won't let me in to see Jesus. And that struck us as a profoundly moving picture of a child who completely got something that was wrong with that building that was inherently wrong with actually what that building was for because it was there for people to meet with God and the the extent of his emotion really moved me and challenged me to think really is there something special about his spirituality that's to do with his diagnosis which was really what prompted me to go on and do the dissertation. Mm. I find that story moving each time I've uh... 
I've heard it or read it. Um, something about that concrete interpretation of things not being quite the way they should be. And I know you and I have chatted about this before, that often people on the autism spectrum can see things better than the rest of us. And that's maybe something we'll yeah. come come back to a bit later on. Uh, and that's what then drove you towards this master's dissertation you completed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, moving on from that, I suppose then to start to think about some of the things, some of the aspects of uh, autism spectrum disorders that have read across into how spirituality might happen for a young mm-hmm. person or indeed an adult. And I know when you and I were chatting about this before, we, we'd thought of a few different aspects and you'd drawn these out in your dissertation. And the first one that comes to mind is the challenge around abstract thinking. And I thought that was fascinating that you'd commented on that. I don't know if you want to say a bit more for the folk listening about abstract concepts. And we, we know, don't we, that for folk on the spectrum, that can be harder, maybe not always, but it can be harder and a bit less concrete. I, I don't know. Would you want to tell us a bit of your th- thoughts around that? I think I think anybody who has been working with children or adults um, with autism will come across the fact that they deal very strongly in terms of what can be seen and and felt in the hands physically, and they they deal in 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 objects. And the issue then, whenever you come to spirituality or or a relationship with a God that we can't see, we can't hear, we can't touch, there are profound issues um, associated with that. Um, and there's also then, you know, associated with that, you know, there are quite a lot of, of um, theorists who would say that people with autism have, have difficulties with imagination. And like it or not, whenever we think of engaging with our Heavenly Father, we need an imagination to to think about where he might be or how he might be. And if you can only deal in things that you've actually seen or actually touched or tasted or, or smelled, then that provides a, quite a, a profound challenge um, for engaging in something that's very, very abstract. So yes, that's definitely one area, James, yeah. And when I was reading your dissertation, it made me think... Uh, when we dig into our theological thinking, concepts are quite abstract, in my view. And I'm no theologian, yeah. but I'm thinking like the Trinity or, yeah. I don't know, uh, substitutionary atonement or things that are hard for any of us to quite sum up in a really pithy, concrete bullet point or two. Um, yeah. Which I suppose maybe challenges us actually that uh, we have to probably work even harder to take those really yeah complex abstract aspects of of our theology and communicate them in a way that someone on the on the spectrum would appreciate that probably drives us to be better thinkers and communicators actually doesn't it yeah Um, absolutely another aspect in your dissertation about an asd type of trait of course not for everybody but 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 for at least some on the spectrum was the uh, challenge that there can be around interpersonal relationships that at times it can be uh, there could be some challenges around that relating to other people. And then you'd commented in your dissertation about how that may then, for some, have an impact in some way in their interpersonal spiritual relationship with the Lord, which I thought was kind of mind-blowing to start trying to get my head around. So I don't have a clear question on that, but I just thought it was really interesting. I don't know if you could sort of stretch our thinking a little bit more or say a wee bit more about that. 
it was really from actually a far simpler way than you've articulated it, James. But um, it was simply that, you know, um, younger children, you know, if you observe some younger children with autism, they have a, a difficulty in connecting um, with others, even in terms of the very most basic things like eye contact or trying to understand how another person might think or feel. Um, that's a particular challenge. But then again, you know, if if we as evangelicals talk in terms of a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus, who again, we haven't seen other than in pictures, then how can you have a living relationship with someone that you haven't seen when you struggle to have a relationship sometimes, at least in the way that neurotypicals might understand it, with somebody else? And I think I think the thing that maybe that came through my dissertation that that profoundly reassured me is that um, time and time in Scripture and even just through talking to the parents that I talk with, it it's our Heavenly Father, it's God Himself who makes that initiation and who reaches out. And the Bible itself is just a series of pictures of how He wants to reveal Himself to us. Um, and when we hold on to that, then the fear of what happens with the child or an adult with autism in terms of their relationship with God, we can we can rely on our Heavenly Father to do the work for us. Mm, that's very helpful. So then in a sense, as we know, God is the one chasing us. God is the initiator. And so he's got it in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things that I had read, um, there's a lady who is a... A very high-profile autism advocate, and she herself has autism, and uh, she's a lady called Anne Memo, and I, I, I quote her a few times in my dissertation. But Anne would say that she would have used no language; she was completely non-verbal and didn't know how to employ language to communicate before the age of ten. But she says that even before she knew how to use language, that she had knowledge of a God who knew her and loved her, and. I think that's a picture of a God who will initiate relationship and, as you said, James, hunt us down, which allows us um, to let go, I suppose, and let God in these relationships. Mm. Yeah, that's uh, very helpful. A a last bit we might draw out in terms of ASD traits or aspects and our theology, I think you mentioned about head over heart and this concept that for some, maybe for quite a lot of people on the autism spectrum, they, they, they may be stronger at thinking things through in logic, logical, concrete ways and maybe less driven emotionally or struggle in some ways to label and, and work emotionally as fully as others. And, and I'm just wondering how that also then can read across spiritually. I mean, that sounds like a dissertation question in itself, actually, rather than just <laughs> one aspect of your dissertation. But anyway, I don't know if you want to say anything about that. Uh, yeah, again, just very simply... Um, I've quoted a, one writer who has ASD and he, he describes how he feels that his his faith is a matter of the head rather than the heart and he describes how um, knowledge and facts and information form the body of the relationship that he has with God. And I suppose if you're... A person, and I would be one of these people who are very much driven by emotions and how I feel and how I think the Lord feels about me. That that can be a stumbling block. But I think in terms of what we do in church practice, knowing that people with autism appreciate facts, information, and they work on a head level 
can allow us to improve what we do in churches rather than think that that is a problem per se. So sometimes knowing the nature of the way things are can be a way to move forward rather than getting stuck on it. That's really helpful. And as you're describing that, it's making me think of something I've never thought about before in this. And there's the that concept of love languages that we know of and that's been written yeah. about. Popular in yeah. Christian circles, isn't it? That book that actually people on the spectrum, like all of us, maybe have their spiritual love languages. And if you want to help them build their spiritual relationship, you might feed their souls in maybe more factual ways in some cases rather than uh, emotional ways. Yeah, that's yeah. Um, that's very helpful. Um, maybe then to move on to the actual body of your dissertation sort of the work you undertook and you met with parents uh, if I'm remembering correctly of four young people on the spectrum and, and explored spirituality questions with them about their children and I think you were looking particularly for evidence that those children had some relationship with God and That's then right. some element of how they had responded to that I wonder can you give the folk listening some some flavour of, of what you got out of that and obviously it would have been different in every each of those families but of, of what what sort of theme maybe came out a little bit from 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 those discussions with those parents so if you think of, of spirituality it's it's a very difficult thing to begin to um articulate or or define so what i really wanted to set out and do was think in terms of of what things might help us to understand whether or not a, a child had a, a, an understanding of who God was and, and begin to interact with him in some way. So I basically chatted to parents about things like were they involved in, in church in some form of faith community? Did they read the Bible? Did they read Bible stories? Were they involved in personal prayer? And 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 was there any evidence of of um, something coming from the child themselves that wasn't necessarily initiated by an adult or, you know, by someone in a faith community. And I think to talk about what happened in terms of results is that it, it was fascinating. Um, I think the four young people came from very different church backgrounds, ranging from a very modern sort of breakout church to um, folk who were involved in, in far more traditional um, churches. And I think for each family, their faith was very much found in what they were used to. And the children naturally responded to that and moved within that. But I think what was clear was that time and time again, children with autism were not only engaging with spiritual practices, but more often than not, they were engaging with God and had a relationship with him that in many cases would have challenged me about my faith and relationship with God. So I was blown away by the findings. And I think probably just to short circuit the findings of the dissertation was that mm -hmm. more often than not, what was the main point of struggle for these children and their families were the idea that Churches prevent, present rather profound difficulties sometimes in terms of engagement, whether that's because there isn't the flexibility to deal with challenging behaviour or whether the environment was challenging from a sensory perspective or whether there was very little understanding of the needs of, of 
not just the children but also the parents who who are in a very challenging role and what I came to discover was that it's very often the churches that get in the way of the relationship with God rather than that diagnosis of ASD itself. There's a lot to unpick there what you've just said. I suppose even jumping back to the start of your comments on your findings Mm -hmm. that could be encouraging to some folk listening because perhaps there's someone listening whose child maybe quite young on the spectrum and they really want their child to develop spiritually and they're maybe thinking you know as they get older it's that's not going to happen so 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 well for them perhaps because their diagnosis and they're maybe feeling apprehensive about that but i think from what you're saying is you were profoundly struck by the spiritual development of the children you were you were talking about the, the, with their families and the spiritual lives that they'd already developed. But I, I, I sense you're saying also there were differences in how that expressed itself played or brought, out. played out. That's it. Um, but I think, James, you know, I suppose, you know, even just coming out of the dissertation for a minute, if, if we think... Yeah. As as individuals, every one of us, our, our faith journey, our spirituality is different. The way that we choose to connect with God or prefer to connect with God is, is different for each of us. And to be surprised that every child's relationship with God and the way that that is articulated or expressed, to be surprised by that is crazy. And I think where... Where the challenge is for parents is not to think, how can I make my child's spirituality so much conform to what is expected from my perspective or, or the church's perspective, mm-hmm. is to become like a student of your child and learn how they think and feel and how they tick and yes. then partner with them as they discover who God is and encourage them in, in how that is, whether that is through our art or music. Our son Zach's a drummer, which um, has its own challenges, but he worships through drumming and it, he, he connects with God on a profound level as he worships. There are other children who prefer silence or to be in nature, and it's it's about learning how, how that works for them and then giving them the freedom to explore that, I think. I think that's beautifully clear and encouraging because I, I think what you're, we're saying here is it's it's not the parent's responsibility ultimately to, you know, do the Holy Spirit's work in a child's life, that that's God's work, yeah. uh, which is a bit of a relief because maybe as parents we can all think it's our responsibility and maybe more so with a child with some uh, additional needs of some sort. But I think what you are saying is you're encouraging us to think it is a parent's job to kind of continue to study your child and how they think and operate mm-hmm. and try and ensure that what's coming their way fits with their whatever term we're going to use love language sensory diet you know yeah. a- a- add in your own term there yeah okay and then I-, I think you were saying as well about actually some of the issue in here is more about the church and structures and almost other people's expectations but that maybe doesn't quite the right phrase a bit more about the surroundings and and others rather than necessarily the issue around the spirituality of the the child or young person. I don't know if you want to say a little bit more about that. And and I think you mentioned about barriers, or you and I chatted previously about barriers in mm-hmm. this. Do you, do you want to say a wee bit more about that? 
So when whenever I just reflect back on what, what the parents had said, without exception, they would have described how taking a child with ASD into a church environment is profoundly challenging and stressful. Mm. Yes. And that's for a number of reasons. It's a, it's a large gathering. There are many, many sensory challenges. Church can also be a very unpredictable place and even more so kids' ministry, the way we do it nowadays, where it's noisy and dynamic and all of those things present massive challenges. But I think even beyond that, there can be a stage, there can be a problem where you have people in churches who will be quick to challenge or um, make life difficult for children who don't conform in terms of behaviour. And and as well as that, then, even the way we do things, even thinking about the way that we use language in church sometimes, again, when we, we spoke earlier in the podcast about children who are literal thinkers or who struggle with imagination, I was struck by the fact that very often even the language that we use in churches, whether for children or adults with ASD, can, can present massive issues. Yeah. Hmm. I think you also mentioned about in, in, in discussions... Uh, about social integration and about an expectation in the way we are together uh, and we are a body I suppose aren't we of, of believers but mm-hmm. some people's way of being together is quite different and their preference is quite different yeah uh, yeah and yet we, we might have this implied subtle pressure on people to socialize and communicate socially the way everybody else does which is maybe not even constructive yeah, that's that's very yeah. much the case. Um, I was struck too in your dissertation. You 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 drew out the the story of Jesus and the little children, which I think summarizes all that you've said there so well. When you put it in your dissertation about Jesus saying, "Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them." And we can all probably reflect on the things we do that do hinder others, including those on the on the spectrum. Thanks for that. Maybe towards finishing off, Gillian, in terms of recommendations or a takeaway point, uh, I'm wondering, firstly, f- if if someone listening to this is a parent, they're young persons on the spectrum, they really want their child to, to, to have a healthy and uh, mature spiritual life. I wonder what might be a takeaway from all of this for them. What might be some comfort or encouragement? I think probably there are a couple of things. Um First of all, that God loves and understands your child even more than you do. And that uh, he's reminded me in my relationship with Zach so many times and that he, through the power of his Holy Spirit, will, will do the connecting. And he knows your child intimately and knows how to connect with him or her and, and will do that. And as I say, partner with your child, learn them, learn how they tick, celebrate that Sometimes you will find that you'll have to advocate for your child and Mm. any parent listening will know that when you're dealing with your child in school or in any other organisation, sometimes you have to advocate, you have to explain. But be their advocate, cheer them on, celebrate them. And do you know the other thing I would say is let them teach you because Mm. whenever you can relax and see what God does in their life, it can profoundly challenge uh, and bring you on in your own faith as well. Mm. Yeah, that's really helpful. And then I'm wondering for folk listening who who aren't parents or carers for someone on the spectrum, but they're maybe involved in church life in some way. M- maybe let's call them an ordinary person in the pew on a Sunday. 
I wonder is there something in here that in all of this that they can kind of take away and mull over and even in, in practical terms that they might try and implement or do? I think it's very natural and very to almost to be expected when you, you talk about children, particularly with autism. There's a baggage that comes with that. And for those people who don't understand it or have much of a background in it, it can seem very much that this is yet another imposition to the way we do church and do I have to listen to that noise or, you know, mm. why do we have to do it this way? And, and and it was really interesting there, James, you mentioned the story of how Jesus welcomed the children onto his knee. And what has struck me about that story time and time again is that whenever the children wanted to approach Jesus, it was his representatives, it was his disciples who were the stumbling blocks. They were the ones who thought it was more important that the Lord got a chance to preach to the adults and connect with the men. And yet mm. Jesus said, no, forbid these children not. He said, Do, let them come because these guys, the weak, the vulnerable, the disenfranchised, the misunderstood, it's these guys. These are the ones that comprise the kingdom of God. And as a picture, it struck me profoundly that most of the time in the Gospels, Jesus went to town more often on the religious establishment Mm. You know, God's representatives far more often for their attitudes and the way that they did things than he criticised those who were weak or struggling. Mm. Yes. And I think my, my challenge is that if the Lord deeply loves and deeply connects with those who are struggling or marginalised, then there's an imperative that we partner with him in welcoming them, even if that means putting aside what we think, the way we think things should be done. Because I think the disciples, they're misunderstood, but they were well-intentioned. And I think a lot of what we do in church is well-intentioned. It comes probably from a good place, but it's not necessarily the way that the Lord would have us do it. That's quite a challenge for all of us a challenging way to finish this interview but it's a great way to finish I think because if we're sitting there in our church on a Sunday and there's someone making a racket and their child's on the spectrum I think you're challenging us to have the priorities that Jesus did yeah. and that mightn't always be to say can someone please quiet that child it's probably yeah. something quite different super uh, Jillian thank you so much uh, I think the work you did and the dissertation you wrote uh, they're they're wonderful and I uh, appreciate you taking time to reflect over it. And yeah, thank you once again. And thank you to you all for listening to this uh, ASD in Church podcast. We hope uh, and pray it's been helpful to you.